James 5.13, the prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Well, let me get our coffee. So if I asked you what your prayer life was like, would you say that it was hot or cold? I don't know that I would say it's hot. I mean, we're like most people. We have full schedules. We work. But I, I would consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not hot, but I'm not cold either. Just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Here you go. I've got cream or sugar if you need Oh, it. no, thank you. I like it black. Miss Clara, you like your coffee room temperature? No, baby, mine's hot. So if I was to ask you about your prayer life, would you say that it was hot or cold? We're at that time of the year when we review the past year, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we look over the events of our life in 2018, and we look to see what we need to change going into 2019. But as followers of Jesus, our first assessment should be over our spiritual temperature. And that's scriptural. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Examine yourselves to see whether you are living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not re do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you'll found, find out that we have not failed. Now the message translation of this text is even more to the point Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail that test, do something about it. 
You see, the Greek word used here for examine means to be tested in such a way that you actually learn something. And so as we look at our spiritual life and we examine it for evidence of Jesus Christ, how are we doing? What do we need to learn before we go into 2019? How is your relationship with Jesus? One of the measurements for our spiritual life in our relationship with our Savior, that's our prayer life. How is your prayer life? Is it hot? Is it cold? Or would you say it's somewhere in the middle? Most of us would would respond just like Elizabeth did. Not hot, not cold, just somewhere in the middle. Several years ago, Life magazine published a survey which indicated that 94%, listen to that, 94% of those who prayed believed that God answered their prayer. But the survey also indicated that only 50% of those people that were praying, only 50% of them prayed every day. Wow. If we believe that prayer has power and that God hears us and answers us, why are we praying? Prayer is one of the foundational disciplines of our Christian walk. Most of the great men and women in Scripture were also great prayers. That's what they did. The Bible is full of examples of people who displayed great faith through their prayers. Abraham, he walked by faith, but he was guided by prayer. Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend, it says in Scripture. Hannah prayed for a son that she could then give back in service to the Lord. Esther prayed before approaching the king in what could have meant her death. David prayed to God morning, noon, and night. And as a result, he wrote the longest book in the Bible. Daniel prioritized his prayer life to pray three times a day, even though it meant his life. Scripture is full of people who discovered that God really does hear our prayers, and he really responds to those who come in faith. But even though prayer is foundational to our faith, It's also one of the most neglected disciplines we have. Why? What is our hang-up? Is it because we don't know when to pray? Or maybe we don't think we're eloquent enough. We don't have the right words to pray, like the people we read about in here. Well, James gives us answers to those questions. You know, in these seven verses of our text, James mentions pray and prayer seven times. His message is pretty clear. Prayer matters. Prayer is crucial. J. 
James starts out with a question in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Some translations use the word suffering. Are any of you suffering? You see, there's an incorrect message in some Christian circles that states that suffering and faith don't go together. I've had discussions with well-meaning Christians who've told me that suffering in the life of a believer goes against God's plan of blessing. I've had people leave this church because I told them that suffering is a part of the walk of faith with Jesus. And they said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. Because nothing could be further from scriptural truth than saying that suffering and faith don't go together. Every person of great faith in this book also had suffering. They go hand in hand. God's plan of blessing includes suffering. Jesus himself told the disciples in John chapter 16, you will have trouble. You will have suffering. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. That's pretty clear. We are told that we will suffer. Paul told the Philippians that it had been granted to them to suffer for the sake of Christ. Peter told his readers that it was better for them to suffer for doing good, if that was God's will, than it was for them to do evil. It is actually God's will at times for us to suffer. And so Peter said this, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Jesus in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the world. The Christian journey has ups and downs. It will have good times, and it will have bad times. It's not going to all be bad but it also won't all be good. God certainly doesn't promise us that. And so James acknowledges that there are those who are suffering in the church. The reasons for suffering vary greatly among us. But James calls us to pray. During times of suffering, during times of hardship, we are called to pray. In fact, prayer is really the intended result of our suffering. God allows us to suffer certain things so that we can find our dependence upon him. We have the privilege to ask him for wisdom regarding our suffering. We have the privilege of asking him for comfort. He is the God of comfort. We have the privilege to go to him. He is the God of all comfort. We have the privilege of casting our cares upon him because he cares for us. 
whatever trial, whatever hardship or suffering you are dealing with today, bring it to the cross. The Lord hears your prayers. He hears the desires of your heart. But the Lord doesn't want to only hear from us in our suffering. He wants to hear from you in your joys too. James asks, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. You know, we almost don't have to be told to pray to God during hardship or during our suffering. It's, it's almost natural for us when something hurts us, when we are hurting, just, Lord, help, help, I need help. But on the other side, when we're experiencing the blessing, when we're experiencing the joy, we tend to neglect the discipline of prayer even more. But James is calling us to praise God when we are cheerful, when we are happy, because praise is a type of prayer. It's a way of communicating to God. It's a way of saying, God, I see what you're doing. Thank you. It's gratitude through worship. It matters. Prayers of praise matter just as much as a prayer for our needs and our desires. Because just like the prayers of hardship have us depend on the Lord, our prayers of praise kind of show back where we were dependent on him, and we didn't even know it. Look at the book of Psalms. A whole book in the Bible, the longest book in the Bible, all about praising God. They exhort us to praise the Lord for just about every reason in every season of our lives. Because life is ups and downs. It's mountains and it's valleys. James reminds us that the hardship doesn't last forever. Our trials and sufferings are temporary. And times of great joy will follow those times of hardship. James is basically saying, there's no bad time to pray. We should be praying in the worst of times. And we should be praying in the best of times. Because prayer is an anchor of our faith. In the storms of life, prayer keeps us firmly tethered to the Lord. Even in the good times, prayer reminds us of the blessings that come from God. When I was a kid, I grew up on a boat. We were out on the ocean every weekend, every weekend. And so one of the things that it struck me as I, as I was processing this prayer is an anchor for our faith. And we are to pray at all times. 
on the days when the seas were calm and the sun was shining, we would go out into the ocean. We would drop an anchor. And we would sit still in that place and just enjoy the warmth of the sun. But then there were those days, one day in particular, where we had been out and all of a sudden the fog rolled in and you couldn't see to the end of the boat. It was so thick. And you know, the first thing we did was drop an anchor. We couldn't go anywhere because we couldn't see. And so we had to drop an anchor. And the first thing I remember as a kid, I just remember praying in the limited way that I could as a little kid and saying, Lord, we're stuck. We can't see anything. How am I going to get home, Lord? And sure enough, the, the fog started to lift just a little bit. And off in the distance, we could see there was part of an island that was out there. And what we could see was this pink house. It was hot pink, a hot pink house. And that was all we could see. And so my dad, he got on the, the radio and he started to call out to the Coast Guard and say, we're stuck, we, we can't find our way back. And they said, can you see anything at all? And he said, well, this is going to sound kind of crazy. All we can see is a pink house. And someone else who had been listening on another um, chant, like on another boat, another vessel out in the ocean, said, I know where the pink house is. I know where that is. It's, and he gave the coordinates to the Coast Guard so they could come out and find us. You see, an anchor keeps us still till God can come in. It keeps us stabilized. It's a part of our faith that we absolutely need if we're going to continue to trust in him. Prayer helps us still before God. Prayer keeps us rejoicing before God in his blessings, leaning on his mercy in his might to save us and to guide us. But pastor, but pastor, you don't understand. Sometimes I'm just too tired. You don't know my schedule. I am just so busy, pastor. I'm too worn out to pray. God would understand if I'm too busy. Well, you know what? James has the answer for that too. In verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, these few verses have been used to promote some really unbiblical teachings on healing. The easiest way to explain the meaning of these verses is actually to first tell you what they don't mean. And they don't mean that if someone is sick and an elder in the church prays for them, they will automatically be healed. That's not what this means. It doesn't mandate that we go around and start anointing people with oil and healing them. That's not what this means. It does not promise healing as a result of your faith. That is not what James is saying. 
He's also not saying, if you don't recover from sickness, that you're somehow lacking in faith. That is not what James is saying. What we have to do is look at the word sick here. In the original Greek word, it actually means to be tired. It actually means to be weary, tired, feeling weak. James' concern here is not with physical illness. His concern is with physical weakness. And weakness, that is the result of enduring through the hardship, enduring through the faith. See, if we feel weary, we are to call on our brothers and sisters in the faith to pray with us and over us. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. We are called to bring one another to the throne of mercy. If you don't have the energy to get to Jesus, if you cannot get yourself to the throne of God, then call someone in this room and say, I need your prayers. I can't do it myself. I need a brother or sister to help. We had an example of it in our ladies' Bible study this week. One of our ladies, I need prayer, please. I, I need your prayers. And an alert was sent out to the entire study of women. And one by one, you'd see the text fly up. I'm praying for you. I am, I am lifting you up in prayer. I'm praying for strength. I'm praying for God to lift you up. It was the most incredible moment to see the power of the body of Christ praying. Because our sister, she couldn't get to the throne on her own. And so she reached out to those that she knew could help her get there. If that is the purpose of church, we start in action. The key word there is God will raise them up. You know the actual word there means to awaken them, to revive them. That's what that means. So those that are feeling weak, those that are tired, when we bring them to the throne with our prayers, God says, I will waken them. I will strengthen them through your prayers. And the oil. What is oil in Scripture? Being anointed with oil. That's not about just healing. That's about the strength of God. That is about the presence of the Spirit. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, it says that when Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Anointing with oil was symbolic of the presence of God. It was about strengthening someone giving them strength so they could walk with the Lord. Even Jesus was anointed with oil before his crucifixion. We've all experienced hardship at some point. We've all experienced suffering. And we've all experienced joy. And we've all been tired 
We've all felt beat up by the world. But James tells us in all these ways, in all these events, pray. Pray, pray. Because prayer works. James tells us the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer impacts people. Prayer impacts situations. But some of us think that we can't pray in a way that's impactful. So James gives us an illustration. He reminds his readers of an Old Testament hero, Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Again, Elijah prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Some of you might remember that Elijah was a prophet who lived during the years of the divided kingdom of Israel. Elijah accomplished some great things for God. One of those things was announcing a drought in the land. Didn't rain for three years until he prayed and it rained. Elijah had some weak moments too, though. He had some fearful moments. After he watches God answer prayer on Mount Carmel, if you remember the story, they had doused an altar in water and they challenged the prophets of Baal. Well, if your God can set this on fire. And Elijah prayed. And God answered it in a magnanimous way. But do you know what Elijah did after that? This amazing, incredible work of God. And what does he do? He runs away in fear. And then he just keeps running. He doesn't stop. Well, he did stop for a little while. He stopped under a broom tree to rest. And he was just physically exhausted. And then he starts complaining to the Lord. He's whining. Lord, I've zealously served you. But the people of Israel, they've broken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. And they've killed every one of your prophets. Lord, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to get me too. You know, it's a little bit ironic that Elijah here is thinking he's the only one. And yet James holds him up as an example for us of our own behavior. He isn't really all that alone. There are thousands, if not millions or billions of others just like him throughout time, including us. How many of you have found yourself whining about your circumstances? Me? Complaining about being the only one that's having to deal with what you're going through. You see, in our weaknesses and in our hardships, we compare ourselves and our situations to others. Why do they have it better than me, Lord? Why am I the only one who's suffering through this? They're getting blessing, Lord. What about me? When is it my turn? 
You see, when we read about Elijah's whining, he's not sounding like such a great man of God, is he? So why does James mention him? Because Elijah was a human being, even as we are. See, Elijah was just like us. He was human. And his human prayer initiated a great move of God. Our prayers have that same power. We have the potential to initiate a great move of God when we pray in his will. James' point is this. If God hears Elijah's prayers, even though he doubted, even though he ran, even though he was fearful, then he's going to hear your prayers too. But do we really believe it? We tend to think that we need to pray with the right words. Well, God will hear me only if I use the right words. I don't pray as well as that person. Oh, I need to be in the right place to pray. You see, we don't need to be a theologian. We don't need to be a spiritual giant to be an effective prayer. James is telling us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Not because of the words we use, not because of the location of where we're praying. Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. We need to remember that prayer has power because of the one to whom we pray. God is not listening for the right words before he will answer. He isn't waiting for us to be in the right prayer position before he responds. What he wants is your faith. That's all he wants. And when we offer him our faith, he uses us far beyond our weakness. Where God finds faith, he does powerful things. Where God finds faith, he forgives sins. Where God finds faith, he forgets your weaknesses. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes all kinds of things. But the most important thing that prayer changes is us. When we engage in prayer, when we converse with the creator of the universe, he reveals himself more deeply to us. He reveals to us who he wants us to become. And that's more like his son. As followers of Christ, we're called to a lifestyle of prayer. Too often we use prayer as a heavenly butler service. Lord, I need this. Lord, I need this. Or sometimes we call out to our heavenly lifeguard. Lord, I'm drowning. Lord, I'm drowning. I need help. But that's not all that God has for us. Of course, he wants to do those things. But when we pray that way, we limit his power in our lives. 
He wants so much more for us. And if that's how you're praying, then you're lukewarm. And it's time to get on fire for God. The creator of the universe, the almighty God, invites every one of us into a personal relationship with him. He wants you to know him. You know, he already knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. But he wants you to know him. And you can only do that if you spend time with him through prayer and through his word. But we must never relegate it to a chore or an item on our to-do list. If that is how we view our time with God, then we need it to change. You know, Jay and I will be celebrating our 27th wedding anniversary in 2019. And I would like to think that our marriage relationship is hot. And you know why? Because we love spending time together. I don't see my time with Jay as a chore. Every moment that I get to spend with him is so joy-filled. And I don't look at my calendar for the day and say, okay, Jay, I think I can squeeze you in on Tuesday morning and maybe Thursday afternoon. I think I can squeeze you in. But how often do we do that with God? You know what, Lord? I'm going to set aside just this hour. Oh, maybe, you know what? An hour, that's too long, Lord. I think I can only spare 20 minutes with you on this day. Maybe, oh, you know what? I'm, I can't read scripture. You know what? I'll do a devotion this day because that'll be quicker. And that is how we approach God. And then we wonder why our prayer life is lukewarm. Can you just imagine the transformation that would occur in our lives, in our families, and in our community if we treated prayer as a constant necessity, as a constant joy in our lives, rather than a chore? Prayer means hope. Prayer means help. Prayer means relief. And prayer means power. Church, let's make 2019 a year of transformation. Let's make it a year of new life and new opportunities. There's no issue that you can face in this life that prayer can't handle and get you through. God can handle it. Nothing is impossible for our Lord. We need to challenge one another to begin praying for God to give us a renewed hunger for him. We need to be praying for the grace to seek him fervently, passionately. Let's be challenged to a deeper and closer walk with the Lord in such a way that our lukewarm attitudes are set on fire for him. We're going to end this message a little differently than we normally do. I'm not going to pray to close us out. 
we're going to have a song come up. And we're praying. If you need someone or want someone to pray over you, please come up here. Everyone in this place, James just told us, if you're happy, you should be praying. If you're suffering, you should be praying. And if you are sick, if you are tired and you are weary, then you should be coming up here for prayer. We are going to start 2019 on our knees, begging God, come infuse us with your power, infuse us with your spirit. We want to know you more deeply, Father. But we don't want to leave anyone behind. So if there's a soul in this room that doesn't know you, Lord, may we come, may we help take them to the throne May we help them see you, Father.